Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. In fact, when we were singing just a moment ago in the name of Jesus, I just thought, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's scripture. You believe the Lord is good this morning? Say amen. amen. I believe he's good. And, you know, we've been going through this series of Colossians, uh, you know, walking through it pretty much verse by verse. And, and hopefully one of the things that we've come to in the conclusion we've come to that Paul has spent so much time reiterating is that the Lord is good, that Jesus truly is enough, right? That Jesus is enough, that whatever you're pursuing in life, if you're looking for peace, if you're searching for hope, if you're looking for joy, whatever you're pursuing in life, that Jesus is enough, that he is sufficient. And in him, you will find everything that you're searching for. And Paul builds that case. And only in him will you find what you're looking for, the philosophies of this world, all of them, all of, everybody say all of them, all of them fall short. None of them can deliver on one of the promises that they make. And so Paul says, since Jesus is enough and the philosophies of this world are deficient, he reminds the church of Colossae, beginning in chapter 3, he reminds them that we need to make sure that we keep our heart, our mind, and our testimonies in check. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what do we have to do to keep our heart, our mind, and our testimony in check. And Paul says, well, first of all, there's some things that you've got to put to death in your life. There's some sin in your life, and it's very personal sin, that you're, if you're going to keep your heart and your mind and your testimony in check, you've got to put those things to death. And then he says, but there's also some things in your life that you've got to put aside. And there were some things that you've put on, but you've got to take them off, like anger, wrath, malice, slander. Does anybody wrestle with those things, right? He says, look, and if you're going to keep your heart and mind in check, you've got to take those things off in your life. And then last week he said something very profound, that if we're going to keep our heart, mind, and testimony in check, yeah, there's some things we got to put to death. Yeah, there's some things we got to put aside. But then he says, but then there's some things that you've got to put on. Then there's some things that you're not clothed with that you need to clothe yourself with. So he talks about compassion. He talks about kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And just as a, as a survey this morning, how many of you have got all five of those mastered this morning? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you guys. And they're sitting beside each other, which kind of lets you know what's going on, right? So yeah, misery likes company. Great. So anyway, you know, it's kind of that notion that, hey, you've got to put some things to death and put some things aside. But listen, church, there's some things you've got to put on. There's some things that if you're going to keep your heart, mind, and your testimony in check, there's some things you don't, that don't come natural that you've got to put on in your life. And then Paul's going to wrap this section up with, and I believe today as we look at this passage, Paul's going to give us some priorities. He's going to give us four priorities that need to be part of a believer's life. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3 is where I'm going to be this morning, and I'm going to be reading in verse 14. And once again, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today, and I thank you for this word today. Lord, may you truly speak to us through your word. May we be able to unpack it in a way that we truly get the heartbeat of what you're trying to communicate to us as well as to the church of Colossae. 
Lord, be with us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, there are four priorities that I think we see. And the first one that Paul gives is found in verse 14. Go back to verse 14. It says this. He says, And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The priority number one, the very first priority that Paul gives, he says, put on love. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Doug, doesn't that fit better than with last week's message when he says, I want you to put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and, and, and patience. I want you, it, it does fit with that. But listen, Paul says something very profound here, which separates love from the other ones. He says, and above all of these. In other words, the chief priority of a believer's life, even though you're supposed to put all these other things on, the chief priority of your life is this, put on Love. Now, we said this last week. Why would Paul tell them to put on love? It's because, listen, the kind of love he's talking about doesn't come natural, right? Do you remember that last week? The kind of love he's talking about putting on doesn't come natural. Now, when we talk about love, I want to kind of, I want to camp ground for just a minute because when we talk about loving people or loving things, I think we live in a world, and I think you would agree with this, we live in a world that has hollowed out the word love. We live in a world that has shallowed and dumbed down the meaning of love. Would you agree with that this morning? Say amen. And let me give you some examples. And I always like quoting famous theologians like the first one, uh, Tina Turner, by the way, is her name. And she made this statement about love. What's love? What? All you heathen, listen to that music. What's love got to do with it? And this is what's love but a secondhand emotion. Hey, love is not a big deal. It's just this random emotion, secondhand, you know, you know, you don't need love. It's just, you know, what, is, what does love have to do with it? And then in my generation, another one came along, a really good theologian, Pat Benatar, and she said, love is a battlefield, right? Meaning that love's all about duking it out with people. It's all about fighting. And then before my generation, you had the Beatles come along, and they go, all we need is what? Oh, you know, warm, fuzzy, all we need is love. Now, listen, here's the thing. When we think about that, we've got one hand saying, hey, love is not that big a deal. On the other hand, we're saying, you know, love is a fight that breaks out. And the other hand, we got this warm, fuzzy of, hey, all we need is just love. And then we live in a world where we equate the word love. I love God. I love my spouse. I love my kids. I love my dog. I love my chocolate cake. And I love my chocolate pie. I love my career. I love my car. And we use the same dadgum word for the, all those meanings. And when you think about it, we have hollowed out and shallowed down the word love. Because listen to me, love is more than a secondhand emotion. Love is not a battlefield. And love is way more than warm fuzzies. And the love that we're to have for God and for others doesn't even come close to comparing to the love that you think you have for chocolate cake or chocolate pie. So what is the love that he's talking about? Obviously the word he uses here, Paul uses, is the word agape. He said, listen, the first part of every believer's life is that you need to put on love. And he used the word agape here. And let me define love for you. Because I said, if I were to say, hey, what is agape love? You're like, well, it's unconditional love. Well, that didn't answer the question at all, right? What is agape love? Well, look, write this down. It is unconditional affection and loyalty and concern for others. Now, listen, key word is unconditional. It's unconditional affection, loyalty, and concern, whether that be directed toward God or that be directed toward people, that is biblical love, an unconditional affection and loyalty and concern for other people. Listen, it is the most important moral quality in a believer's life 
is love. And see, when he says to put on love, putting it on implies some things. First of all, it implies that something's missing in our life. Because I don't know about you, but here's what I think all of us probably wrestle with. All of us say that we love people, but for most of us, if we could, we could kind of you know, flesh that out, we would find out this, that our love is pretty conditional, isn't it? Come on, isn't our love pretty conditional? Yeah. I love you when, I love you if, listen to this one, we don't even think about this, I love you more when, right? And listen, you think about even as a parent, don't we make our kids kind of buy into that? Like, hey, you know, I love you kids, but and then we always follow, I love you, but, right? Have you ever had that conversation with your kids? They've done something really rebellious, like, you know, something this, this terrible, like, you know, they've, like, they've locked their, their brother in the bathroom and won't let them out, and you're like, okay, I love you, but. Now, what, are we, what message are we sending to our kids? What message are we sending? That my love is conditional on you doing the right thing. My love is conditional on you saying the right thing. I love you, but, now listen, here's the thing. Does God love us like that? See, in my greatest failure, I'm still loved by God. In my greatest victory, I'm still loved by God. And I know we say it a lot around here, but I don't want us to miss this. God just loves you. He has unconditional affection, loyalty, and concern for every one of you. Not based on your actions, not based on your behavior, not based on your failures or your victories. He just loves you. And when he says put it on, it implies that that's missing in our lives. That for many of us, if we were honest, our love tends to be conditional love. If it's reciprocated, then we'll love them. If they do what we want, then we will love them. And it's conditional love. And also when he says put it on, it implies that it's something that we can't muster up. We can't muster up this kind of love. It does not come natural to us. And to say to put on love also implies a sense of urgency. Like yesterday, any, was anybody outside about 3.30 when the monsoon hit yesterday? I was sitting in my, 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 my man cave room, whatever, it's like a little closet. Anyway, it's a man cave, and I had all this hail hitting the house, and, and all of a sudden this storm came, and I mean, I could not see five feet outside. It was that strong. And I thought, man, if you were walking outside, and someone said, hey, you probably ought to put on a raincoat, wouldn't there be a sense of urgency if you were in that rainstorm? Sure there would. And Paul's doing the same thing. So when Paul says, put it on, he says, listen, I'm telling you to put it on, first of all, because it doesn't become natural for you. I'm telling you to put it on because your love tends to be conditional rather than unconditional. I'm telling you to put it on because there's a sense of urgency in the world which you live in to have this kind of love, God's kind of love, not the world's kind of love. Are you with me on that? So he says, I want you to put this on. And then Paul even tells us why this love and putting it on is so essential. Look back at verse 14. He says this, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Listen, love is the glue that brings unity in the body of Christ. Are you with me on that? It is love. Love brings us together. Love is the glue. I mean, and you say, well, Jesus, yes, well, he is love, right? God is love. But love is the glue that binds everything together. Without love, we're going to have some real issues. He says, I want you to put on love because it's essential. It is the very glue. It binds everything together. In fact, the things he told us to do, like put on uh, compassion and, and meekness and humility, we can't do those effectively if we first have not put on love. You know why? Because listen, if I don't love you unconditionally, why in the world am I going to want to show you compassion? 
Are you with me? If I don't love you unconditionally, why in the world would I not want to create slander in your behalf? Because I'm pretty ticked off at you right now. If I don't put on love, why in the world would I want to be patient with you? Because you're trying my patience, right? I mean, if we don't put on love, we're never going to do the things that Paul tells us to do in verse 11 and 12. See, here's the reality. I believe with all of my heart, whether it's our pursuit of knowledge or our pursuit of trying to be obedient to God, all of that is vanity if it's not motivated by love. Did you hear me on that, church? Whether you're pursuing knowledge or you're pursuing obedience, all of that is vanity if our motivation is not love. Paul said it this way, knowledge is puffed up, but it's love that edifies. In other words, you can know a lot about the Bible, but if you don't have love in your heart, you're going to come across as judgmental. You're going to come across as condemning to someone. But if you have love in your heart, you're going to show them grace. You're going to show them kindness. You're going to show them mercy. And even in our obedience, if our obedience is not motivated by love, our obedience is nothing more than a means of fulfilling an obligation rather than fulfilling the passion of our heart to obey our Heavenly Father who we love. So Paul says, listen, I want you I want you, first and foremost, I want you to put on love because it is essential. And hear me on this, church. Love is the very thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Did you know that? Jesus said it this way. They will know that you are my disciples by what? By the love you have for one another. And one of the first priorities of everybody in this room, one of the first priorities of our life, if we love the Lord, is we need to make sure that we are putting on love, that we have an unconditional affection, concern, and loyalty to the Lord first and then to others. As Joey Shirt says, we need to make sure that we're focused on loving God. You really wanted to do that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Loving God and loving people, right? So put on love. The second thing he says, the second priority is found in verse 15. Look with me there. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here's the second priority. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. What is the peace of Christ? Well, it can be defined a lot of different ways. On one hand, we're saying that we have the opportunity to possess the same peace that Christ possessed. But when he says put on or let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, what is Paul saying? He's saying let the rest and security that we have in Christ reign and rule in your hearts. Now, you can't have this kind of peace if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. There may be some of you here today that you're searching for rest. You're searching for some uh, some certainty and some security for your soul, and you're searching. Listen, you can't find the peace that Paul is talking about without first surrendering your life to Christ. It's just not going to happen because everything you put into your life to try to fill that void, it's just going to fail. It's going to fall short, and it's never going to happen. The only way we can do it is through a personal relationship with Christ. And Paul says, listen, as believers, church and college say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I want you to let the rest and security that we find in Christ reign and rule in your hearts. Now listen to me. Because of what Christ has done for us, we now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us, we can have rest for our soul. Do you remember when Jesus says, all of you that are weary and heavy laden, come, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. What will I give you? Rest. rest. 
rest. Part of peace is experiencing the rest that Jesus provides. It's also experiencing the security that Jesus provides. When I said yes to Christ and I surrendered my life and he, and he came into my life and forgave me and he saved me, there's security in knowing that when I leave this world, I know where I'm going. There is no uncertainty in my heart. I know that the first person I'm going to see when I close my eyes in death is I'm going to see the physical Lord Jesus. And I'm going to spend, and don't you ever pray me back because I'm going to spend all of eternity worshiping, serving, and loving my Savior. See, when he says put on, you know, let the peace of Christ in. Listen, let the rest and security that you have in Christ, let it reign and rule. So he says, let the peace of Christ, which is rest and security we have in Christ. And he says, let that security... And that rest, let, listen, let it rule. If you have a Bible, underline that word rule. Let it rule. That is actually an athletic terminology in the Greek. If you, if you ever watched a sporting event, they have umpires or officials. When they make a call, that call is final, right? And that's what Paul is saying about the peace of Christ. Let the rest and security that comes in knowing Christ, let it rule in your hearts. In other words, let it govern Every decision you make, let the peace that you have in Christ, let that security and let that rest that you have in Christ, let it rule and govern every decision you make. Not your emotions, not your bias, not your desires, but let the rest and security that you have in Christ, let it govern every decision that you make. And then he says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your where? Hearts. In your hearts. Now this word hearts, I love this word in the Greek because if you go back to Jesus when he said, when he was questioned what is the greatest two commandments, you remember what he said? First and foremost, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So strength is all about it with everything we do. Our, our, our mind is obviously with our mind. The soul talks about the bed of emotions, but he says heart there. The same word here. And this word heart means the core of who we are. In fact, heart could be translated at your bowels, right? I know that's a gross thing to think about, but your bowels are at the very center and the core of who you are. It's at the very corner of your physical body. He says, I want you to let the peace, the rest, the security you have in Christ, I want you to let it rule in the very core of who you are. Now, why would Paul say that? Follow me. Because in our hearts is where faith happens. In our hearts is where conviction happens. And he says, I want your faith and I want your conviction to be shaped and to be governed, not by what the world is saying, not by your reasoning, not by your opinions, but I want it to be shaped by the very peace of Christ. Let your faith, let your convictions be shaped and governed by the rest and the security that you have in Christ. So he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he gives us a third priority. Look at me in verse 16. Here's the third priority. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The third priority is this. Allow the word of Christ to dwell in us. To allow the word of Christ to to dwell in us. Now, just real quickly, what is the word of Christ? Well, specifically, he's talking about the gospel. 
It's the revelation that Jesus brought with him that, that God had become man, that the word had become flesh. So specifically, it's the gospel. But from a backup picture, it's really all of scripture. He says, let the word of Christ reign in your heart. Let it, I mean, let it, let it rule in your lives. Let this word of Christ dwell deep within us. And so the word is referring to the gospel in all scriptures. And then he says, let it dwell. Now, just a quick thought here. This phrase, can we go back to that verse? Can you put that up there for me, Thomas? Great. Let the word of Christ. If you were to study this, what you would find out is that word let means you have a choice to be made. What I want to challenge you with is I want you to let the word of Christ to dwell in you. But you've got to make that choice. I want you to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you. And so every single one of us, every single day, make a choice. Are we going to let the word of God dwell in us? He said, listen, he's basically imploring them. I want you to let the word of Christ dwell. That word dwell means to take up residence in our life. That word dwell means to have a consistent presence in our life. It means that the word of God should be at home in us that it's part of us. He said, I want you to let the word of Christ to dwell in you. And then he tells us how he wants it to let us dwell. What's he say here? I want you to let it dwell how? Richly, right? I want you to let the word of Christ to dwell in you, and I want you to let it dwell in you richly. That word richly just means, it just paints a picture of the abundance and the value of God's word. He said, I want you to let the word of God to dwell on you so thick and so abundant and it's so valuable that every thought, every word, and every action is impacted by my word. I want you to let it dwell on you and take up residence in your life so much that with every thought you think, with every word you say, and with every action you do, that you are heavily impacted by my word in your life. Here's what that means. This book is not a roadmap for how you live life. This book is the sole authority for how you live life. This book is not filled with great suggestions of how to treat people, love people, and love God. This book is filled with mandates and commands and pictures and precepts and principles of what it means to love God and to love people. This book is not just a picture that we live by. It's a manual for how we're to live our lives as far as the being an authority in our lives. He says, I want you to let this dwell richly in you. Now, here's a question I have because I'm a why guy, how or how guy. How can I let the word of Christ dwell in me? Let me give you four ways just real quickly. Number one, hear it. When you hear it, it's a way to let it dwell in you. Second, handle it. Now, what I mean is take the Bible and read it. Now, let's just be honest. Can we have a confession this morning? How many of you, let's all raise our hands because I would fall in this category too. How many of us would say when I read scripture, there's sometimes, not all the time, but there's sometimes I'm like, what in the world did I just read? Anybody? Okay. And do you know statistically that for most people, the reason they don't read the Bible is just because of that? Hey, listen, we have this amazing thing. You know what it's called? Not Google. That's not what I was going to say. It's called the Holy Spirit. And when we read scripture going, Lord, this is, this is confusing to me. Would your Holy Spirit give me clarity? Would your Holy Spirit help me understand this whole conversation about circumcision, non-circumcision, you know, no Jew, no Greek, whatever it is. Would your Holy Spirit give me some wisdom here, Lord, to understand what you're trying to teach me today? As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you that is the one who can help you understand scripture. And so if we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us, we not only need to hear it like we're doing right now, we need to handle it. 
You need to have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. We will give you a Bible, but you need to handle it. You need to read and go, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through your word? The third thing you need to do is hold fast to it. That when Jesus says it or the word of God says it, take it to the bank. That's a done deal. That you need to take his word and go, this is the word, and I'm going to hold fast to it. This, listen, this is not just man's writings. This is the very breath of God, and I'm going to cling to it like a life preserver in the middle of the ocean when I'm drowning. Because listen, guess what? Life throws us a bunch of curveballs, doesn't it? Come on, doesn't it? Life throws us tons of pain, tons of grief, tons of turmoil. And I can tell you that the people that most inspire me are people that in the midst of all those things, they are holding fast to this right here. They've got their arms wrapped around it and they're reading it and they're in it because they know that this is their life preserver spiritually. Hold fast to it. Let me give you one more thing you can do. You ready? Hide it. Here's what I mean. Memorize scripture. Hide it. The words have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you, the psalmist says. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because probably all of us are terrible at memorizing Scripture. But can I just tell you this, that if we will take time to memorize Scripture, at the right moment when we're speaking to someone, God's going to bring some things to mind in our heart that we've been reading and that we've been memorizing. So at just the right moment, we're going to be able to use His Word in that scenario to share with somebody that needs to hear it. But if we're not memorizing Scripture... It's going to be difficult, isn't it? We need to hear God's word. We need to handle God's word. We need to hold fast to it. But listen, we need to be hiding God's word in our, you know, I'm amazed at people. I know a few people in my life that have memorized whole books of the Bible. And I'm not talking about the book of Jude that has one chapter. I'm talking about like James or Philippians or things like that. And I marvel at them, but there's a part of me going, that should be us. In fact, if you were to study Jewish culture, do you know that little Jewish boys would have the entire five books of the Old Testament memorized? Did you know that? The Torah? They would have, and by the time they were teenagers, they would have memorized the entire Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of it memorized. You're like, well, that's not that big a deal. Let's go back and read some of it. There's a lot of numbers in Numbers. There's a lot of law in Leviticus, and there's a lot of begetting that's going on in Genesis. I mean, there's a lot of things, but they would have it memorized. Why? They were hiding God's word. And they're, I'm just saying, do we, are we memorizing scripture? Are we taking sections of scripture? I need to memorize this. So what Paul says, listen, I want you to do all this, but here's the priority of your life. You need to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us. Now, here's one thing he says here I want you to notice before we move on, is he tells us what that produces in us. If we let the word of Christ dwell in us, what does that produce? Let's go back to verse 16 again at the very end. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He says this, when you, when you let the word of Christ dwell in you, here's what that produces. First of all, it produces a knowledge to teach. Now, what, I don't mean teach like I'm teaching, but it gives us the knowledge of truth so at the right moments we can share the truth of God's word to other people. It also gives us this, this ability to admonish one another. That word admonish just means to tell people that if you follow God, here's the blessings that are going to come. And if you don't do God's way, here are the discipline that's going to come. So when we put God's word into our life and let it dwell, he gives us the ability, the knowledge to teach people the truth of his good word, but he also gives the ability to admonish one another of what it means if we don't follow Christ. But there's one more thing when we put the word of Christ in us, the word of God in us, 
and let it dwell in us that does, it leads us to a place where we are passionate to worship. Did you notice what he says there? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what psalms are, right? Come on, you know what psalms are this morning? It's just scripture. In fact, some of my favorite songs that we sing on Sunday is when we are just flat out singing scripture. Like one of the songs that I love the most is like the song, The Blessing, because it's right out of Numbers chapter 6. You know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. I mean, that's right out of scripture. So he's like singing psalms. I mean, when we put the word of Christ and let it dwell in us, Yah gives us knowledge to teach. Yah helps us and the ability to admonish one another, but it creates a passion to worship. You go, man, I want to sing scripture to my Lord. It also says sing hymns. I know some of your old school ones going, yep, we ought to be singing more hymns. Listen, your hymns wasn't your mom and daddy's hymns right? I mean, hymns for me was probably Al Denson in the 1980s because that was the first guy I ever listened to Christian music. But the hymns is basically just those old sacred songs of the faith. Like, for example, my favorite hymn, my absolute favorite hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Because it reminds me all the time that God is faithful even when I'm not, right? He says, sing psalms, sing scripture, sing hymns, sing the old songs of the faith. And it says also sing spiritual Songs. That's referring to songs that reflect the connection we have with God. Sing songs that reflect the connection that we have with the Lord. Like, for example, that song today, What a Beautiful Name It Is. I mean, isn't that an amazing song? Because you're declaring that there's only one name under heaven and earth that matters, and it's the name of Jesus. And that with Jesus, there is no rival, there is no equal, that he's done it all for us, that we can worship him. I mean, that's reflecting the connection that we have with him. Sing spiritual songs. Now, he's not saying one is more important than the other, right? So don't be the person going, more hymns, no more psalms, no more spiritual. No, he's saying this, God loves the creativity and the diversity of worship. So whatever, when you let the word of Christ dwell in you, listen, it will produce a passion to worship. You believe that same amen this morning. Last, last priority he gives us is found in verse 17 as we close. He says this, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the priority number four. Do everything in the name of Christ. Word is referring to speech. Deed is referring to action. And here's what Paul's saying as he wraps this up. Here's the fourth priority. Do everything in the name of Christ. You need to make sure that no matter what you say and no matter what you do, that you are acting in line with what God wants you to do that you're acting in line with the heart, the principles, and the precepts of God that we find in Scripture. Now hear me this morning. These four priorities are priorities that should have been priorities in the life of believers at Colossae, and they should be priorities in the life of believers at Cross Life East this morning. If we're going to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord, if we're going to keep our heart, our mind, and our testimony in check, we've got to look at our priorities in life. And the priorities that Paul says we need to have, first of all, we need to put on love. We need to have this unconditional affection, care, and loyalty for other people and for the Lord. It's the thing that glues us together. We need to make sure that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It is the very thing that should impact every, every thought, every word, every deed. We need to make sure that we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and impact and shape and govern every decision we make. And we need to make sure that as we live this life, that everything we do, everything we say, falls in line with what Jesus would have us to do. So here's the question. 
while these are the priorities we should have, are these the priorities of our lives? When you look at these four things, do you say, yes, Doug, those are my priorities in life? Or would you be honest and look at those and go, you know what? They should be, but maybe they're not. See, I would say that maybe for some of us in the room today, maybe the very reason we are not doing everything as unto the Lord is because we've not let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, right? Maybe the reason we're not living for the Lord and letting everything we say and do honor him and be in line with him is because maybe we haven't let the word of Christ dwell in us. And maybe the reason the word of Christ is not dwelling in us is because we haven't let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And maybe the reason the peace of Christ is not ruling in our hearts is because we've never what? Put on love. So which one of these priorities are you struggling with this morning? And are you willing to do business with the Lord? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Listen, whatever you're searching for can only be found in him. And I want you to look at me just for a moment. I'm asking you this question. Do you, does everybody in the room, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you slip from this world, that the first person you're going to see is Jesus? Do you know that you know that you know? That's the way my pastors always say, do you know that you know that you know? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to him? And if you don't, why would you let another day go by without it? Why would you let another moment go by without saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you because I know you're the only one that can meet the needs that I have. You're the only one that can provide peace. You're the only one that can provide, you're the only one that can meet the very things I'm longing for. And if that's you today, would you just surrender your life to him? And if you're a believer today, would you say, okay, which one of these priorities am I struggling with? And am I willing to get it right with the Lord this morning? I'm going to ask you right now, just stay seated for a moment. I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye to be closed, just for a moment before we sing. And as you're seated this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to stay in your seat. And if you're a believer, take some moments. Look at your notes. Look at these priorities. Go, okay, have I, have I really put on love in my life? Am I really letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart? Or am I letting doubt rule, fear rule, uncertainty rule? Am I really letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly, impacting every thought, every word, every action? And am I really making sure that everything I do, I'm doing it as if it was done to the Lord? And if you're a believer, I'm just going to ask you, would you take some moments, even as the band starts singing, take some moments and just deal with the Lord? And once you feel like you've done that and you've made some real commitments about which priorities you need to address, I'm going to ask you to stand and continue to worship and sing because my prayer is that out of the overflow of the decision we make today, it would create a passion in us to worship, to sing, to declare, to announce the greatness and goodness of our need for him and what he's done for us. And if you've never trusted him this morning, would you just say yes? Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. If you never trusted him and you don't know for sure where you would go if you died this very moment, would you just surrender your life to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm separated from God. But I know that you died on a cross for me. And you paid my debt. And today I surrender my life to you. Making you the boss and master 
of my life. If you'll do that this morning, he will come and he'll change your life and your eternity. Would you make that decision? So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. But right now, would you just take a few minutes and just deal with the Lord right where you sit? And then I'll pray for us. Lord, I pray in this moment, I pray for maybe the person that's not sure about where they would spend eternity, that today they would just surrender to you. If they would say those words and pray that from the depth of their heart, what we talked about a moment ago, if they would just say yes to you. And Lord, I pray for those of us that are believers in the room. Lord, may you forgive us when these things are not a priority in our life. When putting on the love, this unconditional agape love, may you forgive us for that. May you forgive us when we let fear and anxiety and uncertainty reign and rule in our hearts rather than your peace. God, may you forgive us when we let all the world is offering and the philosophies of the world dwell in us rather than your word, Lord. And may you forgive us when we look more like the world than we do like Jesus. God, may you forgive us for that. And I pray that in this moment, Lord, that as believers, that we would make a real decision about what priorities we struggle with, and that today we would leave here asking your Holy Spirit to give us the strength to make these priorities part of our life. God, we need you. We need you desperately in this moment. So God, would you speak to us only as you can? Would you move in our hearts? And Lord, I don't say this casually, but if you need to wreck us spiritually, would you do that this morning? If you need to comfort us spiritually, would you do that this morning? If you need to wrap your Abba, Father, Daddy arms around us this morning because we are hurting, would you do that this morning? God, you know the need of every human being in this place today, and I'm asking you, would you meet us right where we're at this morning? And may we be faithful to respond to you. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all that you do. For it's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.